Welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and happy you're joining me today. I've got a solo session for you. I recently gave a keynote. Well, it was really more of a podcast interview. It was like a live podcast interview that I did for one of my clients, a company that I work with. Uh, it was a big software company. They got about 13,000 employees, and they had um, you know, several dozen that attended this live session. And it was kind of a Q&A on owning your career. We went through several things on how to own your career, set your vision, decide where you want to go. And then we left a little time at the end for Q&A. And there were several questions that came in that we didn't get to uh, just because we ran out of time. So uh, the client asked me and I offered uh, to do a little bonus podcast session where I answered some of the questions in like a solo uh, podcast format. Uh, and I just asked, uh, as long as I can share it on my podcast as well, I'm good with it. And they were good with that as well. Uh, and I'm withholding their name just to kind of, you know, for privacy reasons and all that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, here, you're going to hear me answer a few questions that came in from uh, viewers, listeners, people in the audience of a live podcast session that I did on how to own your career. And just to give you a taste of some of the questions that I'm answering here, one is about how to incorporate uh, Miracle Morning personal development practices like the gratitude practice into your group dynamic at work. Another one was, what do you think are some of the most important myths related to mentorship? Because the session we did was all about mentorship. Um, another one was, can you share more about how to create space for reading books if I can't get up in the morning? Uh, another person asked about my bike and my favorite places to ride. Uh, and then finally, I answer a pretty heavy question about how do we handle returning to the workplace and owning our career when there's so much ambiguity and anxiety uh, out there in the world? So here are my answers to those questions. I hope you enjoy. Um, as usual, if you haven't read my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, it's available on Amazon. We just passed 200 ratings and reviews on Amazon. I'm so uh, excited about that, proud about that. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. I'm hearing rave reviews from people. And uh, there are also many bonus resources available on my website, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com. Just go there and click on bonus, and you can get my five steps to owning your career, the three questions to ask when you face a big challenge, and even my miracle morning routine as well. All right, thanks again for listening. Now here are the answers to the questions. Hey, this is Andy Storch, and I'm recording this bonus session from the conversation that we had on the podcast uh, just a little bit ago. Um, there were a lot of questions that came in from uh, people in the audience uh, during the live session, and uh, we didn't get to all of them during the live session. So I wanted to take a few minutes to answer some of the additional questions that had come in during the session uh, for all of you that have attended, that attended, and of course for uh, people who are listening to this later. So of course during the session we talked all about how to own your career, how to take full responsibility, um, get clear on who you are and where you want to go in your career, set an intention, um, make a plan, set and achieve smart goals. Um, we also talked about getting intentional with doing certain things in your life. Um, we talked about uh, how I used the Miracle Morning to really change my life and start uh, dedicating time every morning to personal development and doing things like meditation and reading, writing, using my journal, etc. I also talked about the importance of gratitude and uh, how that has uh, factored into my life uh, to help drive more happiness and fulfillment. So one of the questions that came in and I actually answered this one during the live session was about are there ways to bring any of these practices, practices of gratitude, for example, into team norms at uh, a company or at an organization. And I talked about gratitude specifically that uh, I think 
gratitude is really powerful. A lot of people don't think about it, uh, but no matter what we're going through in life, we have opportunities to be grateful. We have things we can be grateful for, uh, whether it's our friends, our family, uh, a roof over our head, food on the table, uh, a job, a salary, being able to pay the bills, um, great weather, or just a nice cup of coffee or tea. We always have things that we can be grateful for. And I do think that we can bring these practices like gratitude, um, reading, uh, using a journal. Um, we can use them into group settings and do them together inside organizations. And it creates more collaboration and especially more connection uh, across people and helps build stronger relationships. So the next time you have a meeting with four, six, eight, ten 10 people, can you start by going around and sharing your gratitude uh, for the day? What are you grateful for? Um, and it might, again, be a, a cup of coffee or tea. It might be a conversation you had with your spouse. It might be um, just having this job or, um, you know, a funny show that you watched. It doesn't have to be anything huge. Um, it can be something simple going on in your life uh, or just that a project got done on time. Um, you can be grateful for anything and just to feel it and share it with each other. Some of the other practices, you know, if you're trying to dedicate more time to reading books, could you start a book club inside your organization uh, where there are three, four or 10 people who like all want to read uh, a book together? You know, maybe a book like <clears throat> Own Your Career, Own Your Life by Andy Storch. Uh, but it could be any book, right? I have tons of recommendations of great books. Maybe it's The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And you're all going to start practicing The Miracle Morning together. Um, you could read that book together and have meetings where you, you check in with each other. Um, you could even meditate together. And it doesn't have to be long. Um, when I started meditating, I was... I was awkward about it and felt I had to need to be by myself. Uh, but since then, I've done a lot of group meditations with other people, and I find it can be very powerful. It's great to feel the energy in the room. And maybe it's just one or two minutes where you know we start a meeting and we close our eyes and we just take a couple breaths together and we think about what's going on in our life and we just pause and reflect. And that can be really powerful. So I love the idea of bringing the practices from the Miracle Morning and the other things that I introduce in my book. Um, into your organization, your company, your group. Uh, the next question on here is, what do you think of some of the most important myths related to mentorship that need to be debunked? Also, how has mentorship changed from a decade ago to today? And how might you think mentorship looks like a decade from now? Well, this is a really interesting question because I, you know, at the core of it, I think mentorship is is something that hasn't changed much over time, right? It's something that is always the same, right? The idea, the core idea behind mentorship is that one person helps another person uh, achieve their goals or improve their work or their life in, in some way, right? And traditionally, a mentor is someone who is ahead of you uh, on your path. Uh, typically, they're older than you, and they've accomplished some things that you would like to accomplish, and you want to be able to learn from their experience. So, um, you know, if you're thinking about maybe hiring a coach or you think about your manager as a coach, the difference between a mentor and a coach is typically that a mentor has been on that path and done the thing that you want to do and they have that experience versus anybody can coach you through something even if they've never done it before um, because they're giving an outside perspective and asking you questions and helping you learn from the process. So, um, you know, an easy example is to think about a, a sports uh, star, maybe the biggest star in the sport that you follow in your country. 
Um, I think about American football and Tom Brady, who just won uh, his, I think, sixth Super Bowl at a record age of uh, 43 or something like that um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers recently. And anyway, Tom Brady is, uh, you know, arguably the best quarterback in American football history. And he has uh, multiple coaches who give him uh, coaching and advice. And most of those coaches, his coaches, have not played football or quarterback at his level, right? So they're not better than him, but they can provide that outside perspective. Now, he may not look at them as a mentor, but someone with great football or life experience, uh, like uh, his longtime coach with the New New England Patriots, um, Bill Belichick might be a mentor, or maybe some other successful, famous quarterbacks, he might look at them as a mentor. So I'm sorry to digress into American football. If you're in another country, you don't watch it. Um, But I hope you get the drift for any sport or any profession. Um, You can find coaches anywhere. Mentors are typically someone who's ahead of you on your path or has done the thing that you want to do. Traditionally, they're older than you, but they don't have to be, right? Um, As I said during the live session, you know, you could be mentored by someone who's considerably younger than you, uh, but they have great experience in a certain topic that you haven't been good at. So a classic example, I've been hearing a lot over the last couple of years about the idea of, quote, reverse mentoring, where executives from companies um, get mentored by, you know, 22, 23 year olds uh, on certain subjects that maybe they're not so good with, like social media. You know, you're trying to figure out Instagram or Snapchat, and maybe someone a lot younger than you can give you uh, some advice and show you how to use it, right? So that's kind of a classic example. Um, During the live session, I mentioned um, that I have a friend. I have a friend named Rachel who is considerably younger than me, but we're both um, entrepreneurs building similar businesses. And she's done some really cool things that I haven't been able to do yet. And so I look at her as a mentor, even though she's, I think, 13 years younger than me, something like that, right? Um, But she can still be a mentor in some areas, and I can be a mentor to her in others. So you can also mentor each other. What I think has changed and what's cool is um, the realization, as I shared in the live session, that Uh, Anyone can be a mentor to you. If you can learn from them, then they are a mentor. Your children can be a mentor, mentors to you, right? But if you can learn from them, they can be a mentor and they don't have to know you. You don't have to know them and they don't have to know you exist. So um, a podcast host, an author, a famous speaker, the CEO of your company, you know, if you work for a large company, they may not know you exist, but if you really admire the work they do and you learn from them, uh, or a CEO of another company like Jeff Bezos, the CEO, uh, a retiring CEO of Amazon, or Elon Musk. Many people look up to and admire and follow Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX. Um, you know, chances are, if you're like me, uh, you know, a regular person, Elon Musk is probably never going to know who I am, but I can still look up to him and learn from him. Um, similarly, I've read books from many great authors. I mentioned earlier Hal Elrod and the Miracle Morning. Um, Hal, I've gotten to know him a little bit, but not that well. Um, I still consider him a mentor, even though you know we don't converse on a regular basis. But I listen to his podcast and I've read many of his books. And you know, I hope that I can be a mentor to many people, even those that I don't know, through my book and podcast. And you have that ability as well. The other thing that's really changed is technology, of course. So mentorship used to be either the reading a book from someone that never met or you're meeting with someone for a cup of coffee every week. But now with technology, we have, uh, of course, meeting over Zoom. We have um, you know, video messages. We have audio messages. We have texting. Uh, there are just so many modes of communication. Uh, it's so much easier to get quick hits of mentorship from other people 
um, that you know you may not get to see in person. Maybe you never meet them in person, right? Maybe they work at the same company, but you never meet them in person because of the pandemic or they live in a different country or whatever it may be, but you can still learn from them and learn from their experience. So I encourage you to lean into all that. Um, how might mentorship look a decade from now? Or, you know, that reminds me of another thing that has changed. Um, I don't want to delve too far into the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion, things like that. Um, but there is definitely a big need out there for people from underrepresented groups to be mentored by those in, uh, we'll say, traditional privileged groups like me um, because of access and things like that. And I think we're seeing a lot more conversations where things like that are happening. There's a lot more employee resource groups or ERGs uh, sprouting up in companies uh, to provide more access and mentoring and um, just all kinds of resources for people from different affinity groups to underrepresented groups. And I think there's a lot more conversation where we can talk about our differences and really help and mentor each other. And so I hope that we're going to see a lot more of that going on. And as far as what mentorship is going to look like a decade from now, I mean, I have no idea because I have no idea how technology is going to change. But I know that you know, think the pace of change is going to keep getting faster and we may enter more of a quote gig economy. You might be doing a lot more project based work and therefore you might have several mentors in several different areas. Um, and it's going to be important that you build real relationships with people doing all kinds of different things so that you can learn from them and find opportunities and, and benefit from those relationships. All right. The next question was, can you share more about how to create space for reading books specifically I'm concerned the early morning option may not be available for the given uh, for me, given that I start meetings early. So during the live session, I talked about how um, when I read The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, it changed my life. And it was really about getting up an hour earlier than you need to and dedicating time to get certain things done like meditation, affirmations, visualization, reading. Um, using a journal and exercise. And, you know, one of the big takeaways I wanted people to have was that when you dedicate time to do something that you need or want to do, then you're more likely to get it done. And that before the miracle morning, I would uh, read books uh, only at night when I went to bed, I would read two pages and fall asleep. And then I would uh, average reading two books a year. And then since the miracle morning, I started reading 20 minutes every morning, excuse me, started reading 20 minutes every morning. And as a result, I started reading a lot more books. And I typically average about 30 books a year that I read because I dedicate time in the morning. Now, the question was, what if I don't feel like I can dedicate time in the morning or specifically, um, I'm concerned the early morning option may not be available for me given I start meetings so early. So uh, first of all, I want to change the language on that. Because the person asking the question said, I'm concerned that the early morning may not be available to me. The early morning is always available to you. And if you start work at nine and you need to get up at eight to get ready and feed your kids all this stuff, you can get up at seven. And if you start work at seven, you can get up at five. And if you start work at five, you can get up at three. Um, I typically, when I was in the, the prime of using the Miracle Morning, would get up at 5 a.m., sometimes 4.30 a.m. I know people that get up at 3 a.m. And I'm saying I'm not saying that you have to do that, but it is an option. It is available for you. Now, if you don't want to, that's another thing. And I think you need to be honest with yourself and say, well, I'm choosing not to get up. But if you are thinking about getting up earlier, here are some tips. Number one, the most important thing is you've got to get to bed earlier uh, at night. So 
Um, I started going to bed much earlier. When I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, I was going to bed at 8.30 at night so that I can still get at least seven hours of sleep. Now, if you're someone that normally stays up till midnight or 1 a.m., that might sound crazy to you, but it can be done. And really, if you look at human evolution and what's natural, um, you know, we naturally would be going to bed around the time it gets dark, which is 8, 9 p.m., and then getting up when it gets light in the morning around 5, 6, 7 a.m., Um, So it's not unnatural for us. It's just that we have evolved and changed with modern society. Um, So going to bed earlier, uh, setting an alarm in another room, um, and also uh, setting your intention the night before. So I'm going to get up early tomorrow morning. I can't wait because I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to start my day with intention. That can be really helpful as well. Now, if you feel like you can't get up uh, an hour earlier, you don't want to, you could try getting up a half an hour early and dedicating time and don't get on email, don't get on your text, but open a book and read it. And if that's not working for you because you have a lot of early morning calls because you work on an international team, uh, can you compensate or offset that by blocking an hour for your lunch hour at noon and saying, I'm going to not work and eat at my desk and I'm not going to go out with other people. I'm actually going to block this time and read a book. And I tell you what, I've done this and it feels weird in the middle of workday because you feel like you, quote, should be working all day. But to block an hour, sit down in the middle of the day and read a business book, something that is actually helping you learn and grow, um, it, it feels amazing. But I will warn you, there is some guilt that comes with that when it's in the middle of the day because you feel like, oh, I should be working when it's totally okay to take a break. And especially if it's something you're dedicating that time to learning. Right. The next question was, Uh, tell us more about your bicycle, favorite place to ride. So someone in the live session saw that I had my road bike behind me. Um, People ask me about that all the time. I'm not a big cyclist. I am big into health and fitness. I lift weights every week. I practice yoga every week. I'm really big into yoga. And I do love my bike. I also have a stand-up paddleboard. And I live in Orlando, Florida. So most of the uh, rides I take are on the bike paths around Central Florida. There's one called the Orlando Urban Trail near me. There's one called the Katy Way Trail that's near me. And there's a, a cross Seminole Trail not too far from me that goes for, I don't know, 40 miles or something like that. Um, of course, it's very flat and also very hot. I used to live in San Francisco and I lived in, in the city in Knob Hill. And my favorite ride was, of course, to ride uh, down through the marina across the Golden Gate Bridge and up into the Marin Headlands, which is a really tough ride, but so, so beautiful. And I miss doing that ride. It really was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I guess the if I'm going to pull a lesson out of this is to make sure that you are making time for health, you know, for your health and for your fitness, no matter what's going on in your career, your health needs to be paramount. Uh, same with relationships uh, with your family. Make sure that you're taking care of those things. And find some fun and some joy in your life. What gives you joy? What 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 do you have fun doing? If it's a bike ride, um, I mentioned I have a stand-up paddleboard. I like going out paddleboarding on the rivers and lakes here in Florida as well. Um, so, you know, do some of those things. Get outside. You don't need to be working all the time uh, just to get ahead. And the last question, and this is this is a deep one. So much of what we are talking about these days is returning to the workplace in a post-pandemic period. Do you have any tips on how to, quote, own your career with so much ambiguity and anxiety experienced for so many? So I first blush, I thought this was a really tough question, but then I thought about it a little bit more. And here's what I think. Number one, 
to own your career means you take responsibility. And I talked in the live session about the importance of really reflecting on who you are and where you want to go with your career and then setting your intention, setting a vision, setting goals. Um, but no matter what intention you set, there are always going to be a lot of things that happen in the world, in your career, in your life that are outside of your control. You can't control the economy. You can't control politics. You can't control what the leadership of your company decides to do. You can't control your boss. You can't even control your spouse. Um, and you definitely can't control a global pandemic from shutting the world down, right? So anything can happen. But when you focus most of your energy on what's in your control and try not to worry too much about the others, then it gives you a lot more happiness and fulfillment. And when I say focus on what's in your control, it's not just about how you show up for work every day. It's about preparing for the future. So if you're worried that there might be layoffs, what can you do to help prepare for that? Maybe get your resume in order, right? Maybe start networking at other companies for um, a job that you might want to get somewhere else or networking within your own organization if you think things might change or your group might get shut down. Um, you also uh, you know, might want to be looking at, okay, what is coming and if they ask me to come back to the office, do I want to go back to the office? Do I want to stay home? What are my priorities? This is a real opportunity to connect with your priorities, your values, and your purpose, and like what you really care about in life, and then make decisions based on that. And then finally, finally, you can't spend too much time worrying about things that are outside of your control, right? You don't know what's going to happen with things returning to work, the workplace, and whether you're going to be back in the office or working remotely. Um, you can't worry too much about that stuff in the future. You got to focus on now and realize that everything is going to be okay, right? You're worried a lot about your career when, you know, if you're working here, you probably have a pretty good job. You have some good experience, good education, and you focus on continuing to learn and build your network and build relationships and bring value wherever you go. You're going to be okay. Like challenges are going to come up, but you're going to get through them and you're going to be fine, right? And the working world is going to continue to change and you will need to adapt and change with it. That's just part of life, right? So rest your worries. Um, you know, one thing I heard a long time ago, I think I learned from Hal Arad, uh, is that worrying gives you something. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't take you anywhere, right? And it's hard to stop worrying, but really, um, please try stop to stop worrying too much about what the future holds because it's outside of your control. Um, you just can't control it. You can't control it. You can't change the past. You can't control the future, but you do have the present and you can control how you show up in the world and the actions you take right now. And I hope that uh, these answers and this session, this bonus session has been helpful and inspirational to you and that you go take some action today. Uh, again, I'm Andy Storch. My book is called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It's available on Amazon. I also have several bonus resources on my website, including the five steps to owning your career, the top five most common career mistakes that people make, and the three questions to ask anytime you face a big challenge. And you can get all of those by going to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus. That's ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus. Thanks again for listening.